Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 72 of Egg Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are discussing Spirited Away from 2001, Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, before we get into the conversation, Thomas, will you read for us the IMDb synopsis for Spirited Away? Absolutely. Spirited Away, 2001, Hayao Miyazaki. During her family's move to the suburbs, a sullen ten-year-old wanders into a world ruled by gods, witches, and spirits, and where humans are changed into beasts. So yeah, that is a nice little succinct uh, summary. So Daniel, what did you think about Spirited Away upon rewatch? Uh, yeah, this is like the third time I've seen it. Um, I feel like this is one of those movies I've always, I've always felt like there's a lot of symbolic value and like... I feel like I want to get to the root of like, what does all of this mean? Like, what does everything mean here? And what is this all adding up to? And uh, so I've kind of like put off revisiting it because it feels like it would be kind of impenetrable to me. And so on this rewatch, I feel like that uh, this time around, like it felt like that approach of like trying to decipher like the meaning behind everything, the symbolism behind everything just felt wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Because it feels like a large part of this movie, you know, we start with this young girl who she's moving to a new town. So there's already like a fish out, out of water element, like uh, sort of built into, you know, the, the very beginning. And the parents pull over, they see this long tunnel and she's like afraid to go in. She's feeling like, uh, initially I was thinking like, oh, this kid's kind of a coward. <laughs> like this kid's not very uh, inquisitive, like eager to discover anything. Um, but she's afraid because she doesn't know what's in there. She doesn't know what's on the other side either. So there's yeah. this fear of the unknown. And then once we get into like the real fantasy adventure, it feels like um, we don't know anything. <laughs> like we are just as much like strangers in a strange world. And knowing things doesn't really matter uh yeah yeah it's we're not interested in like why does this man have six arms like who are these little creatures um it's all just about like and no one's really guiding her through this world either there's no morpheus to her neo um it's just she's just trying to do what she needs to do to reach her objective which is like helping her parents out um and everything feels like it has a history and everything feels like it has a story and it feels lived in and it feels uh, mysterious, but we're not interested in, you know, peeking behind the curtains of these mysteries. Uh, and so I feel like a big part of this is just as an adult watching a kid's movie, I had to like kind of let go <laughs> of like wondering about that stuff and yeah, just yeah, embrace totally. it as like fantasy and yeah, just like something that's very imaginative. Um yeah, what about you? What what did you think this time around? Yeah, well, this was my choice. And so basically, this is a big, um, like, a contrast just to the main franchise that we're doing, the Evangelion rebuild. And after the third one, I, like, it, it was just so fast-paced and so frantic. I was just like, okay, we need to sort of go back. And, like, not to say that uh, Hideyako Anno is not a master at what he does. I think he is a master in his own way, in his own specific way when, you know, he does big dense technological things he's great at that yeah. but as far as like 
focusing on, you know, uh, like a character like Shihiro. I don't think he could do a story about Shihiro justice because, you know, this is like a really whimsical fairy tale. And, and like I said, I was kind of thinking about Princess Mononoke. There were other Miyazaki films, but I was like, as long as we just talk about Miyazaki, I think that'd just be the best thing because it's like he is a master in a different sort of visual language. It's more like Disney inspired and it's much more slower paced. One thing that like is crazy about Evangelion is just like how fast and frantic the camera work. But here's just a lot of still frames. Not to say that there isn't a lot going on in the, like these frames. Once we get into the bathhouse, it's just crazy. Like the amount of spirits mm. and characters. It's just like, it's so much fun to just watch this and be like, oh, like, like what are these little like duck characters? Like what are, you know, like these frogs, like there's just so much going on and it's just so visually fun to fall in, like just get into. And the camera is often very still and letting the characters move within it. And it's just like a nice visual contrast of just like the the crazy heartbeat that was uh, um, Evangelion. So that's like mainly why I chose it. And like I haven't seen this before uh, fully through. Like when I first saw this, it was kind of like at a college party. And, you know, at a college party, you know, I was trying to, trying to get drunk, trying to get laid. <laughs> trying to really focus on a really quiet story about yeah. Chihiro. And like honestly, this is like a really gorgeous story. You mentioned the whole thing like Chihiro's kind of a coward. And yeah, she totally is. She's really hesitant. And it's great to see that character turn into the Chihiro at the end that's like willing to like run across the beam and like do like a really spectacular kind of stunt in the beginning like our first Chihiro is like having trouble even crossing like a rocky stream and so it's just great to see the character progression and it's just it's such like a great whimsical fairy tale and there's so many beautiful like small lines in this movie that I love there's this whole concept about like protecting your name and like having like the witch take your name and like like it's like it's really good there's just so many like great things in this that are just like fantastic upon rewatch and so yeah i wanted to ask what you think mainly about like the whole like uh theme of like greed and like getting a job and like capitalism because that's like a big part of this movie so yeah I, i don't know if i like really have a reading of it from like as interrogating capitalism uh so in terms of greed though like so what sets up this story what sets up this journey to this world is that like the parents they're eager to go through this tunnel and when they get to the other side it's an abandoned amusement park and they find a ton of food that's freshly been prepared and they just start fucking chowing down and they're like oh we'll pay when you know whoever shows up later we have money it'll be fine it's like come on it's so tender (laughs) and we're we're so hungry Yeah. Therefore. (laughs) And so it's this consumption that literally turns them into pigs. Um, And so, I don't know, like the thing I I was really thinking about when watching this is just mostly just her relationship with her parents, which is that like, she feels pretty powerless. They're ignoring her when she says she doesn't want to go through this tunnel. They're ignoring her when she says like, don't eat that stuff. And... Yeah, one, she's a coward. Two, she's power- powerless. I'm sorry for calling a child a, a coward. <laughs> like, no, I know fine. she she has every reason to be afraid. Um, but like, that's also another thing I find interesting is the way like adults talk to her. Is like the adults can be very cruel to this kid. Like yeah, calling yeah. her like I don't know, calling her sort all sorts of names, like calling her stupid and stuff like that. Um, yeah, they so call I, her like dull at one point, <laughs> or kind of like kind of like dim or something like that. Yeah, so I, I never really, for me, I, I, I would I think I was mostly just focused on the experience of like what is it like to be a kid, uh, and to be operating this world that 
doesn't listen to you um and just like trying to find some agency and yeah i don't know like i didn't really have a, a reading in terms of like capitalist capitalism or anything like yeah, that. i think yeah. i might have that might have been the wrong word what, what i wrote down in my notes was immigration because there's mm. this whole thing of like she's not allowed to stay in this place unless she has a job and there's this whole yeah. thing about like the um her first mentor uh, is basically like you like you can once you cross this bridge you like you can get inside you just convince this person no matter what that you have to get a job and like you're not yeah. allowed to stay in this place you're not allowed to keep your physical form unless you're like working yeah she threatens to also turn her into a pig which is food <laughs> yeah yeah so in my rose it's like yeah like that's like immigration in a nutshell like if you don't have a job like you can't stay here <laughs> that's like yeah basically you have like, to <laughs> fulfill some sort of purpose for us which is either your labor or we're gonna eat you <laughs> yeah yeah, it leads us to this nice little whimsical sequence with these little soot spirits kind of throwing these these rocks into this giant furnace, and that's kind of like her first little test of like, it can is she capable of like figuring out like how to, how she can fit into this equation? And then when she, uh, one of them gets crushed by the coal that they're carrying, these little creatures, she yeah. ends up carrying the coal, and then the rest of them kind of go on strike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, if you're going to do it, then why the fuck are we doing this? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, but then also, once again, the man with six arms threatens them and says, like, if you don't work, if you don't continue to have this job, then you will no longer exist. Um, yeah, and then she sort of uh, goes into the wing of, like, the sort of maids and then starts, you know, this whole great thing of her cleaning the bathhouse and, like, being, you know, sucked into this massive, like, machine of just all of these spirits and i think that's like one of the best parts of like in the beginning when she like when the family enters the theme park and they cross and when they enter the theme park it's all empty and that's one of the things i really like there's just like a like like really like slow sweeping shots or just like still shots of just like the theme park and just like it being empty but then she crosses over this bridge and like crosses over into this threshold and slowly these spirits like creep in and go into this like massive maze of just this like place of relaxation where there's work happening there's also relaxation there's food and there's just like like, there's a hierarchy there's all sorts of like there's just so much like vibrancy happening it's just like a a really great like kind of entering into like the second act and entering into this new world moment that's just like it's just so refreshing it's just like just to watch and dive into so now now you got me thinking about this job thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) like that was what was sticking out to me so is (laughs) yeah because the whole dynamic it's all built around like this bathhouse and every character has a job to do except for haku right like what is haku's job like he like i guess he's been tasked with like stealing from um the witch's uh sister yeah, I think he's just like the uh, witch's, uh, like, not like muscle, but like kind of just like working, just doing stuff for her, essentially, right? I thought that's essentially what their relationship was established as. But like, what else does he do for her? Do oh, uh, no, I think he's just like, he's just kind of trapped in the spell. And because of that trapped, like, you know, because of that relationship, he doesn't know his name anymore. Because he, he is part of this. He like they do use like honorifics for him and stuff like that. So there, he is part of this system where he is above someone else. He's just really cool, and they just know that like we just need like a cool guy. He's a fucking dragon too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it is. He doesn't quite yeah have another role, but uh, more like I think Lynn is the main person who's kind of just like okay, like here's your here's your robe, like here's your place to sleep, like here's like how we do things. Here's yeah. like here's the little. Uh, 
the wooden sticks for the water, the different types yeah. of water and stuff. She's training her and stuff. Yeah, but like, like even if Haku doesn't have detail. a have much of a job, like I find that interesting. Like why Haku? And like yeah. because like what he represents to uh, Shihiro is like he's the way that she gets liberated, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting you sort of question his relationship because I know we were talking about like video games and like writing and I was like I mentioned like the whole hero's journey thing and I was thinking about that while watching this and the whole like call to action entering this new world the whole like death of the mentor thing and it, it kind of happens to Shihiro twice where yeah. like the, like metaphorically like her parents are turned to pigs and so that's horrific and terrifying mm-hmm. and I, like in my mind I don't know why in my memory I thought like oh yeah her parents are pigs but they have like their clothes on still so she can s- still tell but like no like she they're just pigs and they're just lost in well, the slop of pigs the first time we see them they still have their clothes and like yeah, hair, yeah. they have haircuts and shit <laughs> yeah I love when even like when the dad first starts eating you can hear he's like eating and he, like, yeah. like a, a snort comes in it kind of comes in but then yeah ha- uh haku gets like uh, yeah he gets attacked by the like those like uh paper thing yeah. <laughs> those, that swarm yeah, paper of paper angels paper, paper, paper angel things that are really cool yeah so she sort of has to deal with losing him too and so then she's really forced to to step up and start parkouring on beams and saving lives and shit and it's, it's really cool because she she goes through a, a, a very drastic transformation Okay, so the way she tries to save him and the way she tries to save her parents is with this ball that she gets from, like, like a river spirit, right? Yeah, our boy, the stink spirit. The stink spirit. So a very, very, a very fun Which sequence. Which is fucking in this weird. <laughs> like, yeah. when, like, she cleans him up and then we just see this, like, floating face. Uh, yeah. That's so creepy. Well, but like, anyway. Like, this, like, the build up it is good because we've established, like, okay, like, we're, it, like, we've encounter this giant tub that's disgusting and they're like in the process of cleaning it and it's like it takes a lot of work to clean it and, and this then, is a challenge for her as a yeah. worker basically yeah it already happens like we yeah it's like physically she's just too small to operate this giant machinery uh um y- y- yubaba flies away and as she's flying away she's like i smell something really bad and then like we see it's like this muck like this giant like sludge creature yeah. across the bridge and like slowly like just like absorb no it's not absorbing people that's the uh, no face but yeah it's like just stinking up so badly that people are just like hair sticking up and it's just by the time it gets into the water it's just like oh jesus like her walking through the muck is just great like just the the like the waist high sludge yeah (laughs) and so like that character ends up representing an obstacle for Chihiro where she has to like she basically just has to be good at her job she has to do a good job and she has to like satisfy this customer and by being attentive to, to this customer, she realizes that, like, oh, it's got a thorn in its side. She pulls it out, and it's a whole dump worth of, you know, garbage, like bicycles and shit. And um, <laughs> and her reward for doing all this is, one, she gets the respect of her colleagues, but uh, particularly the witch. Like, the witch is very happy with her performance. But also she gets handed this ball, this, like, edible ball, which... It's a reward that ties into her other conflicts. And so, like, I hesitate to say, like, it's an unearned solution to these other problems. But I think what's interesting is that it's not really that much of a solution to these other problems. Like, it's, like, introduced as, like, she's like, oh, maybe if they eat this, it'll... Maybe if my parents eat it, it'll bring them back to normal. Or, like, maybe if uh, Aku eats it, it'll help heal him. And it does. But, um, I don't know. It's kind of a... 
like now I feel like an asshole for criticizing this. <laughs> no, no. I had that exact same thought when they're having the moment, like after they cross over the bridge and she's already starting to like disappear. And he like, I think that's, he gives her like a berry and he's like, okay, this berry will like bring you back. And he's like, okay, yeah. cool. It's like, it's like, it's like a cool, I, I, I understand. Established, yeah. It's like, we've established this world is magic and whimsical things like that can happen. Sure. Yeah. And then and she's like, wait, I can't move. And he's like, okay, hold on a second. And he does like some like spell like, from the wind or the, the wind or the water or something. And then he's like, okay, now your legs are good. And it's like, okay, now, like, now it's kind of like we're playing D and D and like, it's like, like, he like made up a problem and made up a solution or it's like, but okay, there's like, also, I don't no. there's also a point where he gives her a bunch of rice balls and he's like eat these they'll uh give you back your energy or something yeah so food is a big thing in this movie yeah uh, yeah but that seems different because it's that i'm okay with because it's more focusing on the whole it's establishing the rule that if the witch takes your name away then then like you'll be trapped here forever and mm-hmm. we, we get a, a, a nice really good like flexing of the animation moment where it's like her tears are like these really just gorgeous looking like tears kind of falling on it's just like i don't know i i think the moment is and even like before that they're kind of like they run through this like fl- like this floral area mm-hmm. like this is like um, i don't know it's just like that like wall of flowers it's just like yeah, really gorgeous and, to go to the uh the pig houses yeah there's, um, there's moments like that where i'm like okay yeah this is also like this is like a disney kind of kids fairy tale so there's something yeah. where it's like okay like we might kind of cut some corners and like there, there might just be a deus ex magic well, it feels, fairy. It feels like it's, <laughs> it feels like it's operating on dream logic uh um, yeah yeah where it's like <laughs> like there were times where i was like i guess i just kind of gotta let go because uh you know this world has a logic to it that i'm not engaged with just the same way that shihiro is in and i think maybe that's what what this ball sort of is it's like she has to eat this berry so that she won't disappear um so she's sort of associated food with a cure um and maybe yeah. when she gets that ball she's like all right sure like man, like maybe maybe this is the solutions to my problems yeah no and that makes sense because it does operate very much like in that dream logic way where all of these things happen and then spoiler uh, territory when she they get to the end she's like running back and they, she gets to her parents and she they're like hey like you ran off None of this happened. Like you're just be- yeah. you're off being a dumb kid, and they like just get in the car. We're going back, and it's kind of like it all like you know, it was but a the lifetime car's for all dusty. So yeah, yeah. Clearly, yeah. there so was a passage of time. Yeah. There's a passage of time, but like in terms of like you know how like how much of that is like relative, you know? Yeah. It's and doesn't like, she also have her hairband at the end? Uh, I don't remember because she got like a she got like a hairband from a character that I do not remember. Believe so. <laughs> Mm. oh no that was the sister okay the witch's yes. sister okay yeah that's another a uh, lot of thing. names <laughs> yeah that's another um part of the latter half of the movie where um the reveal that there is like a, a twin sister which also felt like uh it, it's another kind of magical realism thing that you mentioned where it's like okay um it, it is uh i don't want to say cliche but uh, it feels like having a twin sister which seems uh, I don't know, random? I don't know how else to call it. Yeah, I mean, there's like a Wicked Witch of the West and there's like a Good Witch, um, I suppose. I, I guess that could be, you know, an homage happening. There's like the whole um, thing about like the Stink Beast having like the bicycle and then revealing it's a giant pile of trash. 
like this whole like landfills worth of trash inside of this beast. I just looked it up. It's a, it's at least the the giant thing inside of the beast is I think a reference to the biblical story of Androcles and or it's hmm. like the the thorn and the lion's paw kind of yeah. thing. Where, yeah. And so I was like, okay, maybe there's like that. That's also another biblical story of like uh, the guy running out of hell, and he's like, if he, like if he turns back, his like his girl will turn into a pile of salt. And I thought that was a reference to yeah. Him. I, I like, <laughs> called that out as it happened. It's um, like, don't don't turn back, or else your parents will still be pigs. Kind of. And thing. she thinks about it. She almost yeah. does it. Um, what do you tempting. think of what do you think of No Face? <laughs> I love it. it. I I really really appreciate just like how it ties into. Yeah, it's like how her character progresses. Like, it's a mistake that she makes where she invites this spirit into... Well, it's like it follows her over the bridge and it follows her to the bathhouse, but she invites it in, and after it invites it in, it thus creates this massive problem of this giant, uh, like, ever-expanding beast. And I, th- and also, yeah, that I think, yeah, I'm going to go back to the whole... Even though I flubbed and mentioned capitalism when I w- meant to mention um, immigration, I think the no face also sort of represents like the west in a weird way where it's like it's just consuming constantly and then like the staff just wants to please this new person and like it's giving them gold it's giving them money and i don't know there's some there's something there that many youtube essays have probably articulated much better than me but yeah like (laughs) him just like giving them gold but it's, it's then revealed to be dirt i don't know it's just really great imagery yeah, like, as we're talking about this, like, we're touching on so many themes where I'm like, someone has written a whole essay about the role of food in this movie, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, um, there's plenty. I was trying to watch some before this, but they're all, like, half hour long. Okay, yeah, I, I like, don't watch I don't any. Wanna... Yeah, um, it's like, they're all, like, a lot of them tend to be much more long-winded than they need to be, where they just, yeah, just repeat the same That's a problem with a lot of a lot of video essays, is, like, I feel like a lot of people have nailed down the cadence of a video essay. Yeah, absolutely. Without necessarily nailing down how to actually make good points like i've been like there's this um i found this reviewer on letterboxd who writes like these very poetic flowery reviews of movies Mm. uh you know beautifully written wonderful language but completely misses the fucking point of the movies (laughs) it's like and then you go to the comments and everyone's like wow this is such a great review like you know, this is such fantastic writing. And it's like, is that everyone missing that? Like they completely projected like yeah, onto this movie, like in a way that doesn't, they're not actually using the text to like, as a source to like justify why they believe the things that they believe. I don't know. Yeah. It's a it's, bummer. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, they should really teach like how to make video essays at school or something like that. Cause it's, it feels like it's still like a pretty new medium. Yeah. I, well, I think people have kind of cracked the code and they just sort of understand that like, longer and being long-winded and stringing your audience along will lead to more advertisements yeah but that's that's not good (laughs) that's not like we need concise communication Uh, yeah that's why i like my boy thomas flight i think thomas flight is good like there's like a a nice little middle ground where they're around 10 minutes some of them are longer but they're usually around 10 minutes long anyways back to the movie i think no face (laughs) uh the sort of conflict that no face presents i feel like just ties into like he's like a mirror of what her parents went through like he's just fucking consuming everything and he's like well i got money so it's okay right like that's literally what the parents were saying at the beginning is like it's okay if we get everything like we got all this money 
Um, yeah. The difference being that like no face actually wants to have a relationship with Shihiro where the parents are kind of just like brushing her off all the time. Um, but I think with uh, Shihiro like finding a way to resolve this conflict, it that feels like it's a, working to be a stepping stone towards like how she's going to deal with her parents in a way. I don't know if that's totally right, but oh, yeah, that's but we, sort of a vibe I was getting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and also I just really appreciate how they sort of have they have a really nice relationship for the brief moment where it's like she needs to get like the token for the bath water for the stink monster, but the guy won't let her. So the no face steals it for her, and then but then like then he reveals like oh he stole way more than she needed, and she's like hey like yeah. like that's not what's going on here, and then he's like okay like instead of these things I'll just give you money instead, and then there's like yeah all the like yeah all of the staff members like clamoring for the gold specs after the like like the trash goes out and then like the water recedes and then they see the gold like i just love like the the escalation of this like the entire sequence is just so great to me just from the beginning of the stink beast walking in like and going into the bathhouse to just like revealing that oh he also has gold it's just like a reveal like another problem and yeah. i think it goes to your whole thing talking about like because this uh, storytelling versus uh, just and then storytelling where it's like, yeah, it's like, because Shihiro let this beast in is now has led to this, yeah. like, economic problem within, like, the, the bathhouse. And it's like, now, now everything's topsy-turvy. And then because they find out that she did it, like, she must now have to resolve that issue and, like... Yeah, th like this was like I know you're like I'm. I'm really happy that you're critical of it, but this was so satisfying to watch after Evangelion because after yeah. Evang Evangelion, it's just like just doing so many things and so many things unsuccessfully. It's just like this is still this do this is doing a lot of things, but it's doing them fucking perfectly. <laughs> like, yeah, it is interesting because it's like with Evangelion, there's so much happening in there, and the whole time I keep I keep saying to myself like, what does this mean? And it's not necessarily like, what does this mean in terms of, you know, what I, going back to what I was talking about earlier, where it's like, I'm not talking about necessarily like the symbolism and uh, thematic, like, uh, yeah, I'm not necessarily interested in unpacking it as a symbol to understand what it's communicating uh, in terms of a larger picture. When I say, what does this mean? When I say, what does this mean? I really mean, what does this mean for our characters? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, what does this mean to them? How does it change our perception of who these people are? How does it you know, how's it going to impact them? Um, like, I am curious about what it means symbolically and stuff like that. But I, the first thing I need to care about what is happening in this movie is I, I need to grasp a hold of some sort of psychology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I need to know that this is this makes sense uh, just as a story first. Um, and here it's like, I could have that what does this mean reaction to so much. But I know what it means to her character. Uh, she she has she's just wandering her way through this strange world, uh, not questioning why it is strange, but just trying to navigate it, uh, yeah. navigating it according to the advice of the one person who has helped her, which is Haku. Um, and then, like we, you know, get more people helping her uh, as she goes along. But it's also her like finding her confidence in this place, and. So yeah, it's just so much easier to follow, <laughs> and yeah. it like it has so much more weight to it. Um, yeah, like Evangelion, God bless it for hitting us with these fucking gigantic ideas. <laughs> but it's like you gotta make me care about these ideas. Yeah, yeah, well said. And yeah, I think 
having Shihiro sort of get thrust into this world and just be is is such a great metaphor for just growing up in every sense of the in every sense of the word where it's like her parents are sort of taken away from her. She's forced to get a job, and she's like, she literally like yeah, the, mo- the moment, story, yeah. yeah, like <clears throat> the moment where she's like crying as she's like giving, like getting her uniform given to her is such a great moment where it's just like it, it like, it, like a picture fucking says a thousand words, but also just like just the very raw, concrete, uh, just the reality of just like a child being like forced with the reality of like okay like i have to work now and like there's yeah. no one here to really like it's a loss care for of me. childhood in a sense yeah in a way. she yeah she's like coughing and she like, like like clearly like doesn't feel well and they're like okay like like maybe you've been like running around like too much and like you probably haven't eaten in a long time and yeah it's just, like that scene hit me just really heavily while watching i was just, like oh shit like this is like yeah it's like a young child and like everything is gone and like she is now going to be built up from this she got broken down to the bare bottom now she's going to be fucking badass and save a dragon's life and like trick a witch and do all this crazy stuff um that's great speaking of like a loss of like childhood or like a disconnect from childhood and you know becoming more mature did you ever have an experience in your life where you where you realize that like bad things don't just happen to other people like bad things don't just happen to people on the news they also happen to me um um, I'm trying to think. It happened. Yes, uh, there is one time. Uh, it's like a really uh, distinct memory in my mind, and I remember because it was like no one was there, and it was more like I, people kind of just had to like trust me to believe that it happened. But so, uh, long story short, uh, growing up in Oakland, uh, my house was around the corner from my grandmother's house, and my grandmother's house is still to this day family hub. People are always there, so always family members there literally a two minute walk away i'm walking down this sidewalk and a car comes down the sidewalk and like swerves and almost hits me and like keeps going and i'm just like standing there i was like oh like like i could just like get hit like by a car and like wow. no one could like, like yeah and it was just like a fucked up moment where it's like i got to my grandma's house and i was like oh yeah so i almost like, got hit and like it was just that was a moment where like yeah like if you're out here on these streets like car won't care person could not care and so yeah that's yeah know, one one of many yeah, I feel you? like, I mean, I've definitely had that experience. Like, when I was a kid, my sister had cancer. Um, yeah. And yeah. for me, but, like, I think, so I was, like, around, it was nine when she got diagnosed. Um, and I think I was too young to really process it in that way of, like, oh, bad things don't just happen to other people. They also happen to me. Um, but when I was a little older, I got really sick and, like, had to go to the hospital. Um and I, I remember having that feeling of like, oh, I'm now, I might be a statistic now of what, yeah, like this is something that has always a- existed abstract as an abstraction to me. And now I might be part of it. Uh, and I ended up being fine. So it was nothing. <laughs> but, uh, but that like, I had that realization. And I feel like that's something that uh, I don't see enough people talk about as like a, a coming of age moment, <laughs> you know? reading the wikipedia page it won the anim- it won the academy award for best animated feature at the 75th academy awards making it the first and to date only hand-drawn and non-english language animated film to win the award sweet oh different but. yeah well I, I, yeah i still think it's really great to sort of revisit that kind of this movie it's a landmark for a really good reason just why I, also i think akira is a landmark for a really good reason yeah. also 
the first I think the first rebuild is also still in my mind is a really fantastic movie that we've sort of covered recently. Yeah. But I asked you a little bit earlier, this sort of also ties into the whole Miyazaki thing. If there has ever been a film from your childhood that you were a fan of as a kid and then forgot about and then it resurfaced as an adult. Um, so there's something that kind of fits this bill. It's not necessarily a film, but like when I was a kid, I had this VHS tape uh, about dinosaurs and it had Fred Savage in it. And I think <laughs> you can find this online. It might just be called Dinosaurs. Let me let me look it up. Uh, but it, it was probably just like a so. half hour. Yeah, Dinosaurs, a fun-filled trip back in time. It's a half hour long. <laughs> and... It has like hand-drawn animation, it has stop-motion animation in it, and I watched this VHS tape until my parents had to give it away, <laughs> because <laughs> they were like, we are tired of hearing this VHS That's tape great. all the time. Um, and so when I found it, and I was able to like, because there's like musical sections, there's like a music video of like a, dino- a T-Rex playing a guitar and shit like that. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> when I found it, man, that was... That was a fucking trip. Uh, it's not good, but... Uh, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, so uh, another reason why I chose this is because, yeah, like as a kid, there was this movie where you know, like, me and my mom watched it, and during this movie, there's like... Or, like it's, It was a hand-drawn Japanese animated film. There was a really large, fluffy rabbit in this film. There's a, a, a sequence that stuck out to us where there's like a lot of little fuzzy black spirits like in spirited away um little like black we call them dust bunnies and as a kid i was like oh yeah they're little dust bunnies little like and so that was like the whole thing and every time i saw something similar to that that's kind of a thing i would bring up and years went on it kind of faded away and then there was a moment in like high school like late high school and i was like like i wonder what the fuck that like dust bunnies like i wonder what that was but like type it in like on youtube or google i'm like uh animated movie uh with dust bunnies like nothing or like yeah. movie with like small little black uh car- like that's the only part i remembered was that part and i could never find it and then till uh sorry and then fast forward in my 20s and i'm like okay i need to find what this is and i with the help of the internet sort of catching up and I- images sort of being you know better at sort of sorry people getting better at just like uh, screen capturing images and just sort of compiling all these uh, pieces of data from movies and everything. So yeah. it's a little bit easier to uh, to sift through stuff and find stuff. And so I fa- fucking found it, and it was my neighbor, my neighbor Totoro. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's great that, like, in my mind, in my memory, I had, like, this abstract Japanese film, and it's actually this, like, Miyazaki movie, and I think it kind of ties into my whole, like, lineage of being a film nerd and shit. So I, I just thought that was super funny that I was able to find that out. But it's a Miyazaki movie, which is like, even cooler. So I'm remembering now that when i was a kid i don't even know how old i was i was i must have been tiny i must have been like three or four years old uh maybe younger (laughs) but i remember i was at a house like i would there was this babysitter who would like watch me and she had like a bunch of like toy dinosaurs and i would like play with the toy plastic dinosaurs and stuff like they were the size of like little army men and like she had her own daughter and they would she would like babysit other kids too and i think one day i walked in on like her and a couple kids uh watching this movie where there's this big like metal door and there's this like black sludge seeping out from like the cracks in the door and 
like the main characters are like freaking out because this stuff should not be escaping and like the black <laughs> sludge just like it escapes and it just starts like engulfing people and uh just like consuming everything around it and as an adult i like remember i like had this memory of like what the fuck was that movie like i cannot find this movie and i found it out and it's a movie that it's interesting enough i've played the video game version of of this movie oh, wow <laughs> uh the movie's called little nemo and it's a <clears throat> it's an anime um and i just looked up little nemo black goo to see what came up and on youtube there's a there's a video called animation horrors <laughs> so i guess this is one of those things that like yeah like kind of scared kids uh that's funny but yeah, it's so, like, crazy seeing, like, these things, like, 10, 20 years later, because it sort of just, like, unlocks these strange memories, and I remember seeing just, like, the little black circles and just being attached to that, and, that, and then, like, going online today, they're like, yeah, they're called the, Sus the Susawatari is the name of them, and they're little suit sprites, <laughs> and it is so funny seeing them in Spirited Away, so I was just like, oh, shit, like, it's, like, it's all kind of coming full circle, and it's funny, like, I brought that up to my mom, and she's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I, like, like, I, like, I have yeah. no idea what you're talking about, but I'm like, I'm, like I, I swear, like, it was real. Like, the, like, we had the memory, and I was obsessed about this for years, and then I found it. It was just, like, it's something, like, just major in my mind, but minor in somebody else's. I just think that stuff like that is just really fascinating when it comes down to movies that we can find and stream now, and it's, like, a lot yeah. easier to kind of, like, dis discover these things. Uh, so actually, yeah, I also found another video of Little Nemo. The whole movie is on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, so that's if great, anyone yeah. wants to go watch it, uh, it looks like it's a pretty official channel. But the scene I'm talking about is 51 minutes in. Um, okay. Yeah. So go check out Little Nemo and uh, Adventures in Slumberland is what it's called. That's really funny. Little Nemo and Adventures in Slumberland. Um, but yeah, also uh, another observation I felt like while watching this movie... I felt like I was playing The Legend of Zelda. It reminded me of uh, Breath of the Wild for some strange reason. I don't know why. I, I think there's a, a strong correlation between the art direction from those games and kind of drawing from Miyazaki. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's just me kind of grasping at straws, but at least while watching this, I was like, oh yeah, like that's those are two things that kind of my mind associates closely. I've kind of gotten uh, that vibe with some of the Miyazaki stuff. Yeah. Um... Where you can tell, like the people playing, the, the people that have designed and made Breath of the Wild, yeah. have very much so probably have Miyazaki posters in their <laughs> in mm -hmm. their cubicles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because think about it, like when did uh, when did Princess Mononoke come out? It's a good question because this was two thousand and one. So Princess Mononoke was ninety seven. Okay, if you were ten years old and you saw that, then it's twenty two. Her, <laughs> it's 25 years later so you're 35 years old i wouldn't be surprised if some 35 years old 35 year olds are working on the zelda games um i guess breath of the wild came out a few years ago but you know people in their 20s end up working on get, getting hired by these big companies to develop yeah so, yeah, yeah yeah totally yeah but that's about it for uh spirit away <laughs> unless you had any other um <laughs> uh closing thoughts um I will just say that when the baby is threatening to break her arm, fucking terrifying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that is the scariest part of this movie. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. Like, I remember uh, Jim Henson saying something about um, Dark Crystal, how 
he thinks it's healthy for kids to be a little afraid sometimes when they go to the movies. Hmm. And I feel like when I was watching this, I was I was thinking like this is probably kind of scary for kids. But then at the same time, when I was a kid, I loved scary shit. And I feel like it's yeah, I feel like it's healthy for kids to have a little bit of fear when they watch something like this. Um, yeah, it ties into the fairy tale thing where it's like yeah, there's as much as there's great stuff in the forest, there's scary stuff in the forest. Yeah, and something and actually, I was thinking about Labyrinth when I was watching this, which is a Jim Henson movie. Um, yeah, I haven't seen either of those movies. You've never seen Labyrinth? Oh. No, like okay. that's a kind of a I'm kind of, that's a part where I'm kind of missing in my cinematic uh, history is like Jim Henson stuff. Yeah, like I know like the uh, Christmas Carol. That's like the, I think that's the oh, only okay. one I had. Very on, different. That's the only that's the only <laughs> one I had on VHS as a kid. But like dark, like all that stuff. I like yeah, haven't dived into. Yeah, Labyrinth is like a a fun movie that has like kind of a dream logic thing going on, which is why this reminded me of that. And then Dark Crystal, I didn't watch that until I was adult. And watching that, I was like, I can't believe this was marketed as a kid's movie because this <laughs> yeah. is insane. Um, yeah, maybe you can just do a double feature of that because, yeah, I'd love to watch some of that weird, yeah, like practical effects. Like, yeah, those movies from the 80s. I think, yeah, that also, that's also sort of why I missed it because those were like 80s movies. And Dark Crystal feels, was... it feels like a weird, like heavy metal album cover or something like that yeah that sounds great down for that <laughs> yeah i think that's all for spirited away um what have you been watching lately so yeah this week we saw jackass 4 which mm-hmm. was a good time good time at the theater and yeah it was making me think just a lot about comedy while watching that movie okay. and how like everyone really like enjoyed like this is a good theater experience the jackass movies are one of a kind in that way where it's just you're pushing everyone to this collective extreme of like what they're comfortable with and you just get so many different reactions from different places and yeah so we were talking to our friend kevin about the show murderville and i watched the first couple episodes of that and that show is really funny because basically yeah it's like an improv murder show each episode is the same you know, will arnett is like this salty older older detective he's kind of over the hill and he like his his partner was murdered and so he's not that's like the like a backstory kind of thing but basically each episode he gets a new partner which is a comedian he sort of vets them in his office for a little bit for like one scene and then they go to a murder scene and then they proceed to interrogate three suspects and then it's up to the the comedian guest star to sort of pick who is the murderer out of the three suspects and it's just like a nice little fun six episode show and he's talking are the suspects all comedians too yeah, so in the first one, like, um, David Wayne is, like, a magician, nice. which is, like, really funny. Uh, in the second episode, which is really good, um, Rob, Hu- uh, yeah, Rob Hubel is playing triplets, <laughs> which, is, okay. which is just, like, a lot of fun. But uh, the reason I bring it up is because um, we mentioned that, like, yeah, Conan O'Brien is kind of, like, hesitant and, yeah, and like, a little a bit, like, <laughs> yeah, he's, like, sort of resistant to it and sort of snarky and sarcastic about it a little bit and... The second episode, uh, it features Marshawn Lynch, and it's so much more funny when you have someone who's, like, totally on board mm-hmm. and, like, just completely sincere about it because, like, yeah, Conan's kind of just like, yeah, like, being sarcastic or whatever, but then Marshawn, he's being vetted by Will Arnett, and he's like, wait, can I change my name? And, and Will Arnett's like, yeah, sure, what, what do you want your name to be? And Marshawn's like, I want to be Detective Bagabitch. <laughs> so he's just like, <laughs> so it's just like, you can have, like, just, there's just so much more <clears throat> space for comedy when you're sincere and I was just thinking about that because there's this whole thing right now with like Adult Swim and like 
they're just like shuffling through older stuff because they like they lost Family Guy and they've like replaced Family Guy with King of the Hill. And King of the Hill is something that people were big fans of on Adult Swim because it's like a really nice dry contrast to just the craziness of like Rick and Morty. I love That's King like, of the Hill. <laughs> it's just like like yeah, King of the Hill is so fucking great yeah. compared to just They're like bringing it back uh, apparently. Yeah, which is gonna be like fucking awesome. Yeah. But I was thinking about that because like Rick and Morty is just like it's so much on the other side of the spectrum where it's just like it's really sarcastic, it's really negative. You know, we have like giant galactic incest baby, like like crazy shit is happening in that show where it's just like it's so ridiculous, but it's also like it draws comedy from like negativity and like darkness and yeah, it has, and like, it has a cynical yeah yeah. It's it's very cynical, and so unless that show can sort of change like at a theological level, like it's not going to be fun watching another fifty episodes of this show because it's just going to be the same cynical shit. But like seeing Hank Hill walk around with a petition trying to keep a porno museum out of Arlen is just so much more funny because yeah. it's like it's just it's just so much There's more sincerity. sincere. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. It's just like as I well, get older, I'm like, okay, like I'm just getting sort of. I feel like I'm aging out of like just being into that kind of just like just cynicism for the sake of cynicism comedy. I think, I mean, I think that something can be sincerely cynical. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, like Daria. <laughs> well, I think I think a lot of Rick and Morty is in a way like well because Rick and Morty, it's its whole thing is like. It's ironic. It, yeah, I guess it is not sincere. It's ironically cynical. <laughs> Where I think it's like the cynicism is approaching from a place of sincerity, but at the same time, we need to insert like poo-poo jokes and shit like that to like undercut uh, the um, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, despair <laughs> of it all. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I think that's all I had to say about that. <laughs> but. For sure. But yeah, that's just one thing I was just thinking about, just kind of going back to Jackass and then also all of these things, because usually my go-to, like, casual viewing stuff, like, viewing material is comedy. But I'm, like, like after watching Jackass, I was like, yeah, like, watching that was just really great. Just, like, a lot of people just them fucking with each other just yeah. like, oh, really great but then I was thinking, yeah, like, there's not a lot of sequences in that movie where they're doing pranks on the public like it's a lot of just them doing pranks on each other and that's because of covid restrictions and then just shooting it during a pandemic and so they they were sort of forced to to really just target each other's balls instead of targeting the public yeah. but yeah oh I, like yeah <laughs> which is great i've been thinking a lot about that movie a lot um so not to be the negative nancy on jackass <laughs> forever and like this but talking about sincerity like i I remember there was a scene in like Viva La Bam or something like that where it's like they pull a prank and then we cut to the rest of his crew all laughing their asses off and then we cut back to him and he says something like enough and then they all zip it and it like revealed the uh, the false the falsity of the show which is yeah, that yeah. like the laughter is exaggerated. They're not really busting a gut. They're doing that. It's kind of like a substitute for a laugh track. Like we need to show them laughing and having this outrageous time to underline how outrageous the events are. Oh, yeah. um, and so watching Jackass Forever, I couldn't help but think about that. Cause it's like, there are moments where the camera spends a lot of time showing us the dudes laughing and like the reaction yeah, yeah, to yeah, the weird yeah. thing that's happening. And I couldn't help but wonder like, how much of this is 
like them playing it up uh to function as a laugh track rather than them have sincerely being this amused by what's happening um no, I'm I'm a hundred percent on that, and not even and not even to be like a negative Nancy. Also, like, I watched I watched the first three of them before that, and even our friend Kevin kind of joked like, oh, like you have to like watch the first three to get it, and yeah. I'm like you don't have to, but there is like a very clear progression of the people that are making this first one versus the people that are making this fourth one, yeah. and even to the very simple fact that like they were really fucked up and like doing a Ooh, lot of drugs yeah. <laughs> like in the first two, yeah. and so like the joy a lot of, of watching that, drug addicts hurt themselves for money <laughs> like like let's be real like it's a little bit like more unhinged and a little bit looser when it's like okay like you know like okay if like there's illicit substances involved then a lot of that spontaneous laughter feels a lot more authentic as opposed to in four there's part there's a part in four where knoxville does like this sidekick and tries to kick zach in the balls where he like kind of does like this yeah. swift kind of psychic he he does that to wee man in the second one but in the second one it happens quickly and it happens spontaneously but here it's like you're clearly making a reference yeah. to this happening before and it's and it also it doesn't hit and he also it, the reaction isn't the same and it doesn't feel real huh. and so because of that i'm watching it i'm like yeah it's like you guys are kind of I, I do appreciate when you do an homage to an older sketch like dave england taking the dump inside of the toilet in the public place but in here it's in a instead of a hardware store it's at a garage sale and yeah. then instead of him just walking away the toilet explodes and he like flips off of it like you're, you're kind of one-upping it which is cool yeah. but it's like I'm, I'm i'm in the like you're sort of doing the nostalgia thing too where it's like this is just nostalgia you're relying on you're like, like you're funny how doing... every sequel does, nowadays does that <laughs> It's like like the Force Awakens of yeah. Jackass, where it's like Major you're like, revolutions. yeah, it's like you're <laughs> you're relying on your Millennium Falcon as opposed yeah. to doing something purely new. It's like I thought they could have used more Eric Andre, they could have used more Tyler, they could have used yeah. more more of the new people, but I, I feel like they they kind of were in a bind. Bam, Bam is sort of dealing with his own thing, and the sort of yeah, it's just it's kind of a mess. And so what they have, I think, is great. But do you okay? Here's the here's the conspiracy theory of jackass Ooh. forever do you think preston lacy actually shit himself <laughs> <laughs> or do you think that that was staged i mean he's 51 <laughs> yeah, i don't know like he is in a in a spandex suit because when that happened in, in i was the, like i'm not believing and he's saying like i'm 51 like why am i doing this i'm like you didn't I'm buy not it. buying this like mm. i would buy it if it was if they said this was staged to try and get our cameraman to throw up because like he has a tendency to puke, um, yeah. but I'm not buying it as like the whole thing was uh, spontaneous. Um, although yeah. it is weird that like he was wearing that costume, <laughs> like because nothing became of it, right? Yeah, I don't know. Cause it was like, yeah, he's like not the healthiest guy, kind of in a like a spandex suit, and they look like they were kind of in the desert. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like you kind of constricted. <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> What was your favorite scene? Did you have a favorite scene? Um, honestly, I I was really in, I really enjoyed the um, early on like the uh, the sequence. I'm forgetting the name. The Silence of the Lambs. I thought that was a lot of yeah. fun. Kind of seeing all of them sort of pair off and have see like their their dynamic. They sort of all anytime you get to see like, Chris Pontius in the background with his dick tucked yeah. between his legs. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, but also like you can see like. Uh, Aaron and Dave kind of have like a, a, a husband wife kind of relationship kind of thing. Yeah, they've like been they just don't trust each other. Collaborating 
like so i rewatched the first season and it's like it was like johnny knoxville had his crew bam had his crew yeah and yeah. then aaron mcgehee and dave england were just kind of like off on their own <laughs> yeah they kind of get those natural pairings yeah and like preston like preston and wee man kind of do their own thing <laughs> which is like great so that was one thing where i, I really appreciated just like it, it was a really sweet like it's not like like super sinister of a prank obviously they got like pretty hurt but like it's just mm-hmm. kind of like okay you're just in a dark room and we're just gonna fuck with you like it's not like super super crazy over the top um i don't know i think like the idea of like getting blown up into urinals kind of fucked up like i uh, no, not a urinal, a porta potty like i wouldn't oh, be down yeah. for that like like i don't want to be covered in shit like that's not cool um but also like the the mime one i'm like i thought the uh like poopies and the new girl I forget her name Rachel. i thought they, were, they yeah they did a great job in that and, yeah, yeah the the shot of her looking at the camera and the lens uh as she lowers her tongue to the stun gun <laughs> i was yeah. like this is iconic <laughs> like this yeah. is like this I was is like, a I painting. think I have a crush on this girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, they just found. Did they just find like some masochist online? Uh, yeah, she's badass, and yeah, so yeah, I that and it. yeah, the escalation of that is good, and then yeah, just the the skateboard tech on the shins, <laughs> just, oh, just boy. really, really just simple, brutal stuff like that. Uh, what about I, you? Uh, I like, like I said, I think like yeah, my favorite moment in that movie is just the shot of her lowering her tongue to the to the stun gun because she was looking at the camera as she does it, which is such a challenge to the audience. Yeah. yeah. Like, and she did three times. I don't think anyone asked her to do it three times. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Scorpion Botox was really good too. Um, I liked, yeah. Yeah. Johnny Knoxville getting shot out of a cannon in like the chicken outfit. I, I I like stuff like that. It was more a throwback, a throwback to just like him just doing big things. I do feel like there was a lack of cleverness in this one. Like rewatching the old show, like um, like one of the sketches in, in the old one uh, in the first season is Bam and I think Brandon. Um, they go onto an ice rink after a hockey game. Like hockey game, I think they're going to like halftime or something like that. And they run out into the ice rink and they just start beating the shit out of each other, having a hockey fight. <laughs> yeah. Then later, one of them's at a cafe, full hockey gear. And then the other one, <laughs> the other one walks through the door, full hockey gear, and they start fighting in the cafe. And it, yeah, uh, and it just feels like there was a lack of like there there are m- moments in Jackass history that feel like talk about it. It, it is performance <laughs> art um, because there's they're doing something really clever and inserting this uh, fiction into the real world um, that I find really interesting and inspiring. <laughs> Um, so, so I, I posted this on Twitter. I said, like back in film school, we sat around in a circle and our TA asked us if you can be part of production of any movie, what would it be? And granted, I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. I should have said something like, I don't know, a bigger Stanley Kubrick movie or something like that. But I said, jackass. <laughs> and when they said, why, why I said, I find the collision of what is real and what is false. Very interesting. And so like, they are like creating these moments in the real world and documenting like the reactions from people um but there's this cleverness to what they're doing what they're staging um like the concept itself functions as a joke and i feel like in this it it like there was a lack of it just wasn't as clever uh yeah as some of the other stuff they've done i feel like yeah there's actually a moment in the steve-o podcast where he's interviewing aaron and they're talking about 
the yellow snow cone from the first movie mm. and steve-o makes a comment where he's like wow even this is lowbrow for us and then i was thinking about that in contrast to to this fourth one because i was like i did enjoy this fourth one but the second one is still my favorite because it has this the, the great like um hollywood homage at the end where it's like these like big western film sets and like the like classic like the front of the building falling down on in like the window it's like the guy kind of standing in the middle of it like johnny knoxville recreating that now in fact like that homage to classic hollywood is like that like works really well in contrast to the fact that it's a bunch of just like bearded kind of gross out of shape guys doing these outrageous stunts and like you have chris pontius next to the uh synchronized swimmers you know (laughs) like it's like it's just it's the contrast in itself that makes it funny and then yeah like them dressing up and kind of doing the bad grandpa thing. I'm into that stuff too, but I also feel like that relies on the public and the, that wasn't there in this one. So they wasn't, they weren't really allowed yeah. to, and it's to go COVID, out, and, but like, which is unfortunate, yeah. which is why I said it, it kind of results to them just kind of Breaking punching each, each other in the yeah. balls more, <laughs> which is like, I think that's why I'm, I'm fine if it's like, okay, the creative small little fist thing and you little elaborate miniature gym set up with Preston sitting on top of it. I'm like, okay, it's like, at least having some fun with it but yeah i do see that it's clearly they're getting older and there's limitations and they're it's not as spontaneous and raw as like those first ones there's like skate videos um yeah they're skate videos but they're art <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like they describe them as like they're skate videos without the skating it's just like the fun dumb shit that happens in between um so there was this art piece i want to say it's called i love america and america loves me um and I I I, I, I want to look it up, but I can't right now. But um, <laughs> but it was this performance art piece where this man was locked in a gallery space with a real life coyote, <laughs> um, and this artist Yashua Khan, this Mexican artist, did a piece called Coyoteria, which was a response to it, where he's in a gallery space with a coyote, which is one of the people that you hire to. Uh, smuggle people across the border um, yeah. <laughs> and like Yashua Khan fantastic fucking artist like I encourage anyone listening to this look him up like um, he's a video artist performance artist um, he did a piece where he was like hiring like the police officers in Mexico are really crooked he was like paying them to just like perform for him and like you know act like a tough guy for me um, or do a dance for me um and that stuff it kind of, like so so Johnny Knoxville the way he got Jackass was he he wanted to write an article uh about self defense where he tested self defense equipment on himself and yeah. no one would pick it up um and then I think Spike Jones caught wind of it and he or no no not Spike Jones it was uh I think Jeff Tremaine yeah. um and he was like hey we want to do this <laughs> like we think it's really interesting um because it is kind of performance art. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think Jackass is really special. <laughs> There's nothing else like it that comes out in theaters. Uh, I agree. Even though I have criticisms of this one, I definitely think anyone, everyone should go out and see it. Yeah. Also, just going back to the whole, like, origin story, like, 
they were funded by Big Brother Magazine, yeah. and Jeff Tremaine worked for Big Brother Magazine, and I found out through the podcast that Big Brother Magazine was owned by Larry Flint, which I didn't Whoa. know before. <laughs> and so, yeah, and apparently they're, like, they're talking about back in the days, like, yeah, like, they would send Jeff Tremaine up there to talk to the Larry Flint people because they were all just terrified, terrified, terrified <laughs> of the, of the, of just, you know, his reputation and just, like, the professionalism. They're just like, we don't know how to yeah, talk. We can't talk like, to these people. <laughs> we can't talk legal to those people send up Jeff Tremaine and so I just think it's really funny like imagining the Jeff Tremaine that we know like in the room with like those people yeah small world interesting ties kind of going back to all these things it's really cool to see Steve-O healthy and sober kind of being on the forefront wish we could have seen Bam yeah do miss Bam yeah hopefully it gets better (laughs) yeah the beehive condom was gnarly yeah I do hope Bam gets better yeah yeah so wild that my friend that I used to make videos with in high school has a video with bam that came out like a year and a half ago where they're like walking through like a dilapidated los angeles house and they're just like destroying shit yeah shout out to my friend blake rozier making great content he did a a weird like he does like these weird performance arts kind of things like he did this thing called i think it was five days in a cage where he'd like stayed like inside of like a small enclosed area like inside this like uh, Los Angeles uh, theater where there's like a little small glass like area and it'd be like like the facade of a building basically he like stayed in there for like five days and live streamed it then he like also did it on stage where he like performed on stage for like a week straight and like live streamed it and so he's always doing like interesting extreme stuff like that so yeah shout out to him um, anything else you've yeah. been watching um that's about it as far as things I've been watching. I've been reading um, the autobiography of Asada Shakur, which is just oh, yeah. really great. It's bl- yeah, I like to sort of do my due diligence during Black History Month and get get some knowledge in me. And so, yeah, like, big Tupac fan, and I've always been curious about the story of his mom. And the autobiography is really great because it bounces back between, like, a really intense trial and, like, her story of being like accused of uh, shooting and killing a police officer in New Jersey to like the story of her growing up in her childhood. So you kind of do like a, a back and forth between the chapters. So it'd be like a really heavy, intense chapter than like something kind of a little bit more fun and breezy. But she's still, still going through lots of hardships, but it's good to sort of have like a bounce back. Yeah, yeah she's badass. Asada's fucking hardcore. <laughs> I, I had heard of her without realizing until this very moment that she was related to Tupac. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i've always heard of her in the context of like uh an activist and yeah never knew about that relationship. yeah and it's like this really great moment i'm like halfway through the book where like you know, she's like locked up in prison she's dealing with this fucking horrible racist institution this awful prison like being locked up and all this the conditions are terrible and then she finds out that she's pregnant and i'm like oh shit this is like tupac is about to show up it's the part like it's like like this weird like i just like got this like so excited hearing her talk about this new life that's like growing she's like i'm like so excited for this new baby to be born but i'm also worried about you know it being a black child in america and all the the problems that come with that and i'm just like oh shit she's talking about tupac yeah. and then it turns out it's a girl and i'm like oh it's like it's someone else and i was like this book is amazing <laughs> it's like there's just twists and turns and yeah so I, i'm always really relieved to sort of dive into an autobiography especially with activists and sort of people who are still around and have dealt with very real things okay so i'm looking it up yeah so she's the godmother of tupac okay yeah. or step aunt step aunt <laughs> 
Um, cool. Um, what about you? I saw Bjork yesterday. <laughs> I went oh, to a Bjork concert. Uh, it was all right. Like I spent this is the most I've ever spent on a concert because I always told myself like if I get the chance to see Bjork, I gotta take it uh, because she's doesn't come to the U.S. very often. I feel like. Um, yeah. And so, I you know I saw her at FYF a few years ago, and at a festival she just like played the hits and i'm a sucker for the hits i like the hits uh, she was touring on an album this time around so um she didn't play that much old stuff but uh i don't know it was still it, it was still uh, it was at the chase center in san francisco okay um, oh cool i haven't been there yet yeah it was my first time there i feel like there's not really a bad seat in the house like it's much smaller than i thought it would be um yeah. but a large part of the performance a large part of the show was uh, it was just about like how our planet is dying and we need to save the planet. Um, and I feel like political music is only really good when it's angry. And it was really, and I feel like it, a lot of times, like a lot of political music sucks because it's too, um, I don't know. It's not, it's not poetic. A lot of, a lot of like lyri political lyrics. Um, it's, it's just too blatant. And so the yeah. first song that she performed or wasn't even her it was a choir that was touring with her performed the song with the lyrics are very blatant but it was kind of angry and it was still really beautiful and like tense and uh just like the composition of it was incredible to me and it completely challenged that perception that like you can't write so explicitly like you have to be kind of poetic with it because it was very explicit and like very straightforward but like it was executed so fucking well that like i was totally on board with it um weirdest part of the show though was during a you know she exited the stage and we're all waiting for the encore and a projection of greta thunberg comes up and she just starts talking about like uh you know the earth is dying so that uh, a few rich people can get richer and what and you know what am i going to tell my children about you and what you did to stop this uh, we need to stop <laughs> relying on quote so-called political realities and actually do what's necessary um, hell yeah and which was cool like it was like i was like just say violent revolution <laughs> like just do it um so like, tell us we have a pickaxe <laughs> under our seats yeah uh <laughs> But uh, unfortunately, that it didn't get that far. <laughs> um, and it was just kind of strange. Like, I remember Emily went to the restroom and then she came back and, like, this projection was going on. She was like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it was very strange. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Still, still a pretty good show. <laughs> um, what else have I been watching? Um, I'm halfway through Search Party Season 5 uh a lot of people hate this season it's it's been very divisive from what i've seen online but i really like it uh and i think if you treat the show as a comedy first and foremost it's a comedy that exists in a landscape of you know serious uh, procedural dramas um then i think you'll still enjoy it um because it is it is very different it is very far removed from what the show first started as uh Spoiler alert, there is no search in this fifth season. Um, but I don't know. I find it really interesting. I'm curious where it's going. Because um, it feels like it's mostly just like, it's just satirizing like a lot of, you know, modern day uh, influencer culture and stuff like that. Um, 
And then okay. I could see why yeah, people might not be. Yeah, I think maybe people don't want to feel that they're being criticized or like their use of social media is being criticized or the personalities that they enjoy or something. But yeah, also that's like kind of an easy target. It is, but it's like this is a show. This feels like a sh- like I I feel like it's easy for shows that uh come from an older generation or content that comes from an older generation to criticize the younger generation this feels like it is still a part of that generation while criticizing it so it feels a little more um you know self-reflective rather than just like pointing the finger at someone else um okay i could see how that could be valuable so yeah um it's like me yeah it would be me saying like what is wrong with (laughs) the group that i'm a part of yeah versus just being like i'm annoyed with these people um and then also Boba Fett. Uh, I haven't watched the finale yet, but are you caught up on that? Yes, I watched it earlier today. Oh, you watched the finale? Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it is certainly a finale. It's certainly a finale. Uh, what did you think? What, what, what do you think of all this Luke Skywalker stuff? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm kind of in the boat of you could recast him a little bit. Um, <laughs> a little bit. A lot. A lot. <laughs> Uh, I say a little bit because I guess I don't feel too strongly about it. Yeah, I feel like I'm like yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I think it's just weird because like like I said, like it sucks that this show is clearly was like half Boba Fett's, half Mandalorians, and so when we have uh, an extended sequence with this character, I don't know what to think about it when the C- like the CGI it, like it looks great. Like that's the whole thing. Yeah, it looks CGI. incredible. <laughs> like that's and that's the whole thing about. CGI every year it'll look better but like the whole question is why and like why do we have to have him giving him this sort of choice and I, I don't know it seemed a little out of place and I've just <laughs> I don't know it's just I, I just don't know like quite what to think about it because it's just it I, I yeah it's just weird I feel like I feel like you could just make a stronger decision by making a bold decision by just not having him there or having someone else do it or having Ahsoka do it or yeah i feel like the way there's no i feel like there's no use fighting what's coming (laughs) like yeah like we are this is where we are now like we can rebuild actors we can uh we can de-age them or we could just create them from scratch and we can't as like if, if you're approaching something creatively as like a creator as a you know you're you're working on one of these things you you can't fight it. You must make it bend to you. <laughs> you must do something interesting with it. Um, yeah. I think the biggest problem with the way this was executed is that they, and I didn't realize this until afterwards, they digitized his voice completely. Yeah. So, yeah, they had some, uh, I, I, I don't know, tool that just analyzed his perf- Mark Hamill's performance from a book on tape um, or multiple book on tape books on tape and um just like any recorded dialogue they had from him to completely uh recreate a performance for the dialogue in the show to fabricate yeah fabric skywalker um and so like i feel like the like what they should have done is done it so like the performance is obviously a deep fake there's an actor standing there and they paint mark hamill's face over that actor but the actor is still controlling the facial expressions they might they're just wearing a digital mask um this is not a digital yeah. mask of an actor's voice this is just a digital entity um i think if they 
can find a way to digitally digitally mask a performer, then we're still getting a performance. We're still getting someone who is emoting <laughs> rather than just this dead, emotionless. Yeah, I reading. see what you're saying. Um, yeah, it, it took it one step too far. Now we're in just like completely AI territory. Yeah, and I think that's a problem. <laughs> like that's yeah, that's, that's yeah, what that's I scary. see as a problem that, yeah. because it's like. Like having digital actors engage with real actors, that's just fucking. This is just a really advanced version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Rabbit is the way I see yeah. it. Um, so, so I don't mind that too much. I think we just, yeah, people just have to we're, be creative with the way they use that. Um, yeah, we're getting kind of we're straying into really dangerous territory. I've been like getting better at just sort of letting movies play in the background and not get too attached to just like. If I get if I catch a, a ten minute clip of a movie, that's okay. And so that happened with the uh, the Hobbit the other day, and I was like, "Oh yeah, didn't this movie like make Ian McKellen break down and yeah. weep on set because he was surrounded now... by <laughs> he was surrounded by emptiness, and he was just like, this is not why I didn't." It broke my heart. I was yeah. like, "I got to watch like basketball or something because I can't think about that." But what would Ian McKellen think about the volume where <laughs> we? have videos around the actors that look like the place that they're supposed to be at. Like, cause I, I definitely think the volume is better for actors because it actually gives them something to engage with and work off of. But, uh, yeah, ob- yeah obviously it doesn't replace the real thing. Uh, I don't know. I think we just have to find better ways to solve these problems. And what Ian McKellen was facing was growing pains of technology. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, that last episode of Book of Boba Fett is interesting because it feels like just one long sequence, just one hmm. long extended action sequence of just things happening. And it's Robert Rodriguez, some, though, right? Yeah, there's some there's some interesting things that happen, but after a while, I was I started to feel a little exhausted while watching it. But yeah, I don't think Robert Rodriguez is very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, old old. Old movies, yeah, but yeah. for these, the the new stuff that they're kind of doing with the Star Wars is there is a little bit of this flair, but I don't know. It feels like, like I said, is I don't feel very strongly about it because it feels like it doesn't quite have as much of its own identity. It, like like the Mandalorian did, and it felt like it's like we say this own kind of dark, weird thing. But the Book of Boba Fett yeah. feels like it, it feels kind of like a piece of Marvel something, where it's just a part of a bigger piece. There, I was kind of into it at the beginning, but. I don't know. I mean, the fact that they pivoted to just being a Mandalorian show sort of feels like yeah. even they knew it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> like they were just gave up. Uh, and people were saying like, "Oh, like how is why is it Mandalorian in the book of Boba Fett?" To me, that's the problem. Is the problem isn't that the show changed? The problem is that they titled it the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The problem is your expectations, not the content. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. Anything else? Um, no, glad you made the correction. I wasn't aware that Asada was Tupac's godmother, not uh, actual yeah. mother. We <laughs> should clarify that. But that's about it. But yeah, next week we're watching, we're finishing off the Evangelion yeah. rebuild franchise with Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, thrice so upon weird. a time. <laughs> so ready, ready for it. So yeah, that's next week. Looking forward to finishing that out. If you would like to contact us, you can email us vaguezonepod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at Twitter at vaguezone. We're always on there talking about TV shows and movies and stuff that we've seen. 
So yeah, this has been episode 72 of Vague Zone. I'm Thomas. And I am Daniel. We'll catch you on the next one. Oh, my God.